You are now listening to Cult Cinema Catacombs. These films exist. Just for legal reasons, to let you know the recording is starting there. Gotcha. Recording via this. I got gotcha. you. We are yeah. super professional on Oh, yes. <laughs> in, in, in fact, this part of the conversation may even be on the episode itself. So, yeah. <laughs> it's just it how we do this it. how it starts. Just cut right into it. That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's normally how our show starts off is it's like we could be like after the intro comes in, all of a sudden you you, out of nowhere will hear Andy go marshmallows and then go (laughs) in the middle of a rant about about marshmallows. And then three minutes later, I'm like, welcome to Cult Cinema Catacombs. All right. All right. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cult Cinema Catacombs. Very special (laughs) issue. I'm very excited. Josh Stifter's here with us. I am. I was telling him pre-interview that I am of two minds right now. I am absolutely geeking out hardcore um, for a lot of reasons, but also the other side is like, Josh is awesome. And just, I want to talk to him like a human being. So that's where we are. I'm not going to, I'm not going to elevate you to a pedestal, um, at least vocally, Josh. I'm sorry. Nah, 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 nah. I don't need that. I don't want that. Um, it's funny because I found myself, I do a podcast called Low Budget Rebels, and I would do these long-winded intros, and I found that when I was, I, I would, like, introduce someone when they were on the line, I'd end up talking for, like, 15 minutes about their movie that I had watched that week, and all of the things they'd done, and it just became obnoxious for the audience to listen to, so... <laughs> I like the podcast that just jumps right into it and doesn't list everything and doesn't put the person on a pedestal. So now that's that's become how my podcast is, where we just break right into it. That's awesome, nice. man. Um, that that is a good segue into the so so Josh, um, you mentioned podcast, director, actor, producer, comic book creator, musician. Am I missing anything <laughs> in there? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, dad. Um, yeah. Oh, of course, dad. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that, but that's the that's the toughest one. Everyone always talks about all these things that I do with art and whatnot, but the toughest, like the one that takes up the most time, is being the dad. Um, but yeah, those are all things that I've done. Uh, it's funny podcast comes up because that's actually one of the first things I did. I was doing a podcast. Oh, man, back in 2000. I mean, Daniel and I started recording a podcast the year the term podcast started. And it was called The Casting of the Pod because we were like, (laughs) if people search for podcast, we got to be the first one that comes up. And (laughs) it didn't pan out for us. We did a a lot of episodes and they were very funny, although I hate for someone to find them because I would probably be like, 
me too'd or whatnot like people oh, yeah. would find something offensive from that era because that's like just post south park era like everyone was vulgar like crazy and you just said things for shock value to, yeah. to shock and that that era has gone away so i go dig it up and you know what i, I dare someone to go try to find that and dig it up because i would love to hear the things i say on there but um uh but podcasting was one of the first things sans, you know, the classic story of stealing dad's video camera like every white male filmmaker did in the over <laughs> like all across the nation has, um, which is nothing wrong with. But it's just the same story over and over again that we all, you know, have our our backgrounds of stealing dad's video camera, going out, shooting stuff, realizing how fun it is and then making a career of it. Um, and. But from there, you know, I, I started playing music. I played in punk bands and I just loved doing all sorts of weird whatever I could do that would shock people and not in a punching down sort of way. I'm Minnesotan, so I've got the nice in me. I can never be mean. <laughs> I can never be directly mean to someone. So instead, I was mean to their eardrums by playing grindcore music. <laughs> well, but that that sensibility that that punk rock sensibility you've transferred that into your film career i was gonna say it's obviously carried over into your films because especially gray woods because it's it's there and even like today i watched uh the, the first of november and i got a sense of that oh, in that so short good. also yeah it's yeah, so good it's it was fun it's been fun because like it's funny you everyone sees the stuff i do for myself like that's the stuff i put out there Without understanding, like I work a full time job, I work, I do contract work all the time for companies like XL Energy and CNN, and I've done contracts for all sorts of companies. Like I can't even count at this point. For I've been doing it for 20 years. At you know, like since I was, you know, just out of high school, I started taking contracts everywhere I could to make extra money, um, and. No one sees the like professional side of what I do, which is great because I don't want them to see that. I want them to see the raw punk stuff um, and the stuff that I get inspired by because I get inspired when I watch Mystery Science Theater 3000. That's when I'm like, yes, I love this. Like these are the 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 people who had to work extra hard. They didn't have a DP holding their hand or a actual budget or, you know, cast who have ever acted before. That's the stuff I love. <laughs> yeah. It just feels raw and real. Um, I was literally just like raving about a drawing my son did in to my wife earlier today. And it wasn't in that way of like, look at our, you know, look at how cute this is that my son did this. I, you know, it wasn't that dad. It was like this punk rock God, look at the fingers are all fucked up on the hand. And what like what can I take from this in one of my monsters? Uh I just get inspired by by bad shit. <laughs> <laughs> we we could rename this show inspired by bad shit. Um mm -hmm. but no, yeah. This show is drawn to that mentality, the stuff that we watch, the stuff that we love. Um and we watched I watched Greywood's plot early um in october and then i just yelled in roy's direction until he did yeah. uh we loved it it was yeah it was oh yeah fantastic so, and i say bad shit meaning like it's just not it's not following the rules of what is good 
in the sense of being just like good. I watch a ton of shit that's just good, and I forget right. it five minutes later. Like everyone is making good stuff. Like that's what ninety percent of the stuff that hits theaters is just good. Like it's just good. But I either want it to be amazingly well crafted and thought out in a way that's like, oh my god, this changed my life, or I want it to be like fun in the way that it's dirty and maybe says something just to a small audience or does something really weird that feels completely unexpected. You know, that's I, I'm always just looking for those stories, which is why as a kid I was drawn to, I mean, I was drawn to trauma. I know you guys are talking about trauma now. Mm-hmm. And I was so drawn to trauma as a kid because it was dirty and gross and vulgar and awful. But there was also these like really heartfelt statements in a lot of the early trauma movies. And still today, you know, Lloyd is trying to get some statement in every project he does um and that always kind of that always kind of pushed me with what i was doing where i'm like okay i'm gonna make this awful grindcore song that sounds like trash but it's also making fun of racists like it's (laughs) it's mocking this it's mocking the skinheads that are at these shows and they won't even know it because i'm screaming at the top of my lungs in the high-pitched squealy pig being butchered voice and you have no idea that that's always like that's the kind of stuff i get into is, is any of that still out there speaking of your podcast is any oh, of your yeah, a, music floating around yeah i mean i put um one it's I, I wouldn't necessarily even call it grind it's more of an aggressive screamy song but at the beginning of the good exorcist and at the end of graywood's plot i used a track that was called a song for my boy mm-hmm. um it's it's the one that is just a bunch of screaming like as Maria when Maria goes like Dios mio motherfuckers and she and then it cuts to the good exorcist and there's like this aggressive song that's yeah. that's a song I recorded in my basement okay so so I love it yeah it, the thing I the, the thing about both 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 Greywood's plot and the good exorcist um, is they're really visceral and sure. very funny. Um, I do have a question for you though. How do you how do you do this? There's something that you do really well that Roy and I both have identified that not a lot of people do really well, mm-hmm. and it's really really evident in Grey Woods, where the movie spoke to me on a on a different level because it starts out dark, right? You start that movie out pretty dark. Yeah. We go into the the body of the story, and you're lulled into this false sense of security, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, bam, the darkness is back. <laughs> yeah, and so... We, we forget it, it in the middle. People do. That's why I never have a problem spoiling that movie for people, because every time they watch it, they forget what I just told them right before, <laughs> because they're just watching, like, two jerk-off buddies in the woods <laughs> Like, being so annoyingly beta white. Like, they're so just perfectly, like, I don't know, every, like all of us. I mean, it's there's it's no, uh, I'm, I'm not going to kid myself in the fact that there's a lot of me in that character. Yeah, I got married. I had kids. I, whatever. But, but I'm still sitting in my computer doing podcasts. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I still understand that we're kind of a nerd generation and I, I'm okay with that. There's nothing wrong with it, but those were the guys who didn't weren't in on the, the joke of 
of life. So they're kind of fun to watch and you kind of get into them and you kind of like them, but you also kind of hate them because we've all seen these two idiots who don't really know what they're doing with their lives. And you're like, oh, my God, guys, why? Why are you walking (laughs) through the woods with each other? Go do something else. Um, So you kind of get lulled into this false sense of security because you don't love them. You don't hate them. You just kind of are with them on this weird journey. And then when shit hits the fan, you kind of don't know what to think. Um, You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Like, where you kind of go like, do I want this guy to be tortured? Or (laughs) what's going to happen? And then it gets to the end. And I I mean, spoiler alert to a certain extent, but not really. It doesn't go well for him. (laughs) Oh, you don't say. Uh, (laughs) And it goes even worse for his buddy. So, like... or in a, in, in a sense, like if you really want to break it down, it yeah. kind of goes really well for him. That, just yeah, that's not what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I was I was going to say he was. I, I mean, one of them seemed happy in their position. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, uh, I felt horrible for feeling good for him. Yeah. Like I was like, oh well. I mean, he got he he got there. He yeah, feels so, he feels important now. <laughs> like. That's he unlocked he, like, he unlocked a kink he didn't know that he had, and now yeah, he's happy and important. It, it Everybody's really, happy. It's it Except really is. It's and it's beyond a kink because it is like it's so much of, and I think a lot of people who aren't you know, just what what are we considered like millennial white nerd guys? I think a lot of people still relate to it because of the fact that we all are on this you know hunt to figure ourselves out all the time like mm-hmm. i fuck was i was having a conversation with my father-in-law the other day and i'm like he's buying his retirement home his dream retirement home and he still is like having these weird self-doubts about who he is i'm like oh that never goes away that's why people connect to this because you dream of finding that that thing that makes you original or you happy or you you and I showed it in the worst way possible. Um, <laughs> you did, man. You <laughs> yeah. really, when you put it that way, you were absolutely correct. <laughs> like, well, it, and I mean, it, there's, there's no. I've, I've been pretty open about the fact that this whole, that whole movie was a metaphor for my like feeling of sort of abandoning my art to have a family and whatever. And but what would I? What, what's the monster I become without that? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of personal stuff in a movie. That also has, you know, guys bitching to each other about how they hold their beers <laughs> and <laughs> very odd moments. Um, and I, I, my hope is that we did the same thing with The Good Exorcist, because my what I really wanted to do with The Good Exorcist was make something that could one minute be really cheesy, like over the top, like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can watch this Pee-wee's Playhouse crappy effect. And then the next <laughs> moment they're having like a really deep conversation about faith and what it means to them. And then the next moment, you know, there's, it, it jumps around. Uh, I remember I had a friend when I showed them the cut, they, they were like, you should cut this scene. Cause it, it really drags the movie down when father Gill and Mr. Willows are talking as they watch the super eight footage of them as a kid, of him as a kid. And I was like, I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, it does really drag it down. Maybe I should cut it. And then I'm like, no, that's what we're doing. We do drag the audience down. They got to work to get to those stupid visual effects moments. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It, the, the interesting thing for me about the two movies, right? These two films 
is um, the juxtaposition that stands between when you're looking at a father, Gil, when you're looking at Dan in that movie, he is absolutely assured of who he is in the world. Yeah. To the point where he will run off at a moment's notice. If, oh, yeah. He he'll, leave his, he'll, he'll leave his clergy behind. He's like, screw, <laughs> yeah. you, screw you guys. I got a mission. <laughs> Instantly. And, and then you get the other side in the Greywood spot. But uh, we did just watch The Good Exorcist. And I know we have a million granular questions. Yeah. I know that I, I'm not going to steal his thunder, but I know Roy has a lot of questions about one particular character in oh uh, my, my personal favorite stanley yes yeah. um, stanley's fantastic stanley is when the solo stanley movie yeah win solo stanley movie we all want it <laughs> yes so oh trust me i've been writing the good exorcist 2 it's called father gill and the daughters of lilith oh god i just shot yes! McCoy out of my nose yeah. what so father gill and the daughters of lilith and stanley is i mean i the best part is stan that wasn't stanley's character so when I wrote the script for that, Stanley was nothing like that. Stanley was written to be, um, I, I literally wrote him in as, what's the term? The white herring or whatever the term is. The red for, herring, yeah. Red we herring, talked yeah. about that, yeah. Yeah, so I wrote him in as that. But as you watch the movie, like, you get about about 30 seconds into Stanley before you're like, this guy's not it. Like, he's <laughs> too weird. He's too goofy. Like, there's no way that he is really supposed to be the the like anything to do with the demon and then you could kind of just enjoy stanley for all of his weirdness and i was i'm better off with that so the whole in the original script he was like supposed to be really creepy like really creepy and i cast avery very different than i was going to cast him i was going to cast this person much more like ugly and uh, like awkward in the other way um, like, not fun to watch, necessarily. More of a horror element. And that's how I had written him. And then Avery came on and was so funny. And and Stanley had about half the scenes he has. Um, <laughs> and then Avery showed up and was so funny and charismatic. And uh, he just, he didn't read any lines or anything. He just showed up to the casting. And he and I just started talking. And we had so much fun and, that I just, I kept him around for the entire shoot. And one of the rules of Rebel Without a Crew, which we made this movie for, it's like Robert Rodriguez gave us $7,000 to make this movie over 14 days, or shoot over 14 days. Um, One of the rules was to have anyone on set, they had to have a scene in the movie. So I wanted Avery to be there every day, and Avery wanted to be there every day. So then I'd just be like, well, how about you're in this scene with Father Gil and Maria? And he's like, okay. And he just stuck around the whole time. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and, like, Daniel and I wrote that. The, the sock hand, the covering his penis, that whole oh, scene, God. the dream so sequence. So funny. We wrote that, and originally it was supposed to be this creepy dream sequence and where he's, like, where he does have sock hands, but we wanted to make it, like, really awkward, like, phantasm-looking and do this whole thing. <laughs> And then Avery delivered, started delivering the lines, and I'm like, we're not filming it. We're just using what he says and 
showing that. It's so much funnier. It's so much better. It was, it was so much funnier just having him describe it and watching everyone's reaction was so just... So much funnier. <laughs> Except the hardest part was we kept ruining takes because every time he'd say, my penis, I would start laughing. I could not stop myself. So I had Daniel go and get me a pen. And while he was saying the lines, I actually stabbed myself in the leg with or stabbed myself in my leg with the pen and focused on that instead of focusing on the performance because I could not do it. Very good. My favorite Stanley moment. And how much I, I do want to ask how much he ad libbed. Oh, there is 95% of it. <laughs> oh, he had to because it's like, it's, yeah, because we were talking about our favorite Stanley moments. I think one of them that we mutually agreed upon was the I'll clean it up and powers up the chainsaw. That was the funniest. I, I laughed out loud like when he's sitting on this sitting on the 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 the, the paved edge there and the phone comes out and it's just full of gore and blood and he just takes a beat and then yeah. yells i'll clean it up and starts the chainsaw <laughs> yeah so okay so he was supposed to be there in the scene and he was just about supposed to be sitting there creepily and stare Father Gill down. There was no lines in the script there, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. he, he may have said, like, something, like some little line that was meant to be, like, awkwardly funny, sort of. He was supposed to be kind of like, um, what's his name, Kip in Napoleon Dynamite. Like, he's okay. supposed to be kind of awkwardly okay. quiet and weird. Um, and obviously, he went a very different direction. But so I would just let him improv stuff. So... At first, he wanted he wanted to do a line. Avery wanted because he had that apple. He brought the apple, and if what if he's like, what if I go, I want some apple and whatever. And I was like, I don't know, man. I think that's too far. I think he took that line too. And instead, I was like, do something like be excited about it. And I'm like, be like cool. So he did that like a whole bunch of times. And on I think like the third time, I was like, just do say cool like ten times fast. And on the third time, he took a bite of his apple and it fell out of his mouth. And he's like, oh, please don't use that one. That's too stupid. Don't use it. Of course, that's the one I use. That's sure. the one he used, yeah. Yeah, it's so good. He just is like the apple just falls out of his mouth like a child. Um, and uh, and then the, I'll clean it up. I didn't have a chainsaw in the movie at all. There was no chainsaw in the script. Um, if you watch Rebel Without Crew, you see that I was Robert gave us seven props. And I came prepared, so I didn't need any extra props. I had everything I needed for the movie when I came. Instead of bringing clothes, I brought uh, <laughs> suitcases full of props. So, like, the teddy bear, the telephone, like, whatever I could fit in the suitcase, that's what I brought with to make the movie with. I wrote them specifically. I was like the guy in um, in Anchorman. As I was writing the script, I was just looking around my room and being like, oh, red phone. Okay, I'll write that in. Oh, teddy bear. I'll write that in. Like... A lamp. Like, that was me. So, um, yeah, so we didn't have the chainsaw. I walked around Robert's studio, and he or he has, like, this this airplane hanger full of props. And he's like, I'm going to give you guys seven props, whatever you want. So I grabbed the chainsaw because I'm like, Texas Chainsaw reference. I got to get that in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then um, I grabbed that metal detector because I was like, I don't know. We'll do something with it. <laughs> And then I, Avery's like, when we were filming the scene with Maria he, and Father Gill having that, like, heart-to-heart -heart conversation about, like, fear, um, I I was like, Avery, what if you're just wandering around? Stanley was supposed to be in that scene cause, just a little bit because I had a line. I still had that line in the script where um, Father Gill is like, you mean, like, Stanley? And then it cuts to him. And in the script, Stanley was supposed to be, like, picking his nose and then trying to flick a booger off of his finger. And... 
I was like, I don't know. It's not, that's like really, that's really cheesy. Can we do something funnier? And Avery like ran over and grabbed the metal detector. And he's like, I always wanted to be a metal detective. I'm like, oh, that's in the movie. Let's do <laughs> that. Funny. Let's go with that. Uh, which is, that. That's still my favorite line of the whole movie. And I think it's just because it's so improv, like so truly improv. Like that is not something I could have ever come up with without he grabbed that prop and made that up in the moment. Um, nice which I really love. I really appreciate it. But um, yeah, he's a lot of his stuff was improv. He, he came with, we didn't have the piano. That piano was just there on the set. That's awesome. So uh, originally it was supposed to be, so I wrote the whole script for a bed and breakfast and I was specifically writing it for my mom's bed and breakfast that I grew up in. And I'm like, well, if I have to change stuff, I'll do that because I probably won't be able to use that bed and breakfast. Um, and then we got the ranch, and so I just walked around the ranch going like, well, instead of a fireplace in the attic, because my mom's uh, attic had a fireplace in it, and that's where we lived in the bed and breakfast when I was a kid. Um, I was like, well, instead of the fireplace, what if it's an evil piano? And I came up with this whole idea of like having the chair fly across the room. We'd use fishing line to pull the chair across the room, and then we'd, you know, I'd sit behind the piano with a broomstick and push the top of it up, and then I'd add fire in post-production. And so I wrote all that, and then I was, like, trying to figure out how do I get them into this room. And it was originally supposed to be just the Mr. Willow showing him the, the actual, like, bed and breakfast, just walking him around. And I don't remember exactly in the script it was Stanley's room, and some of those jokes were written into it, but Stanley wasn't supposed to be there, like, at all. So that whip shot that uh whip pan shot yeah. to him where he's playing yeah. sitting at the piano and he's like what are you guys doing in my room jeez uh, i love that <laughs> that was just improv by us in the moment we were just like what can we do here and i'm like i would love to get a whip pan into the piano can we what if stanley is sitting there and it's funny because he just like kind of slams on the keys when he's playing but we also have a take because Avery can actually play the piano where he just starts like playing this beautiful song and then <laughs> and he's playing this beautiful song. But then we didn't really have a funny way to get out of it. And I thought him yelling at him them to get out of his room and then walking away was way funnier. So, yeah, yeah. we improv a ton. It's awesome. Yeah, it felt the 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 thing I really the, the kind of um, you know overarching thing I really liked about it was. Father Father Gill was the most normal person there. Yeah. And everybody else was like at an 11, like a John Waters movie. Yeah. Just all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I I love that about it. And yeah, like uh, there's a lot of people like this is the difference. Like I was talking about earlier, the difference between people who like bad movies and the people who just want good movies. Mm. People who like good movies don't get why the performances are the way they are. They like struggle to understand, especially Mrs. Willows. I could tell the people who are my people versus how they feel about Mrs. Willows and not, because I think she's fantastic. She's so over the top and there's no reason why she should be like, there's no, there's no story driven reason. There's no overarching theme. She doesn't build as a character, like the rules of filmmaking. In fact, I take that back. She actually does build as a character. She goes from being so over the top weird. And then in that final scene, we just show her kind of sitting there and waving. Yeah. She like, she chilled out through the movie, but 
I purposely wrote it that way, where I'm like, I want her to just be weird as hell for no reason other than <laughs> every great. every mom I grew up around was weird as hell. Like, that's just how they were. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff they did. It and definitely worked, especially mid- with the tuna noodle casserole yeah. scene. Yes. Um, mid- Midwest <laughs> weird all yeah. over that woman, and it's so good because we all knew her. Yeah. We all knew her. That was the the the, the tuna casserole scene was a moment where I had to pause the film because I was just so what the fucking at that point because <laughs> she's like and she's just like tenderizing whatever the hell it was and she was tenderizing it was, it was the and cheapest she, rotisserie chicken I could find and, um, <laughs> and then she's like I hope you like tuna noodle casserole that's what we're having I was that's like, what we're having for dinner um, I'm did, like going. Does she have the tuna drying in the closet now? She's tenderizing <laughs> it for the casserole. Yeah, so that was a that was a rotisserie chicken that I picked up that same day <laughs> on my drive there. You know, like the the gas station rotisserie chicken, yeah. ninety nine cents that no one should actually eat. Yes. And uh, the, uh, Daniel actually didn't have a place to stay. Daniel flew down. Um, my mom and I think my mom and his parents paid for his flight. Um, and he came down to Austin and he had his twin babies had been born like three, maybe two months before, three months before. They were little babies. And wow. he flew down for three weeks and had no place to stay. So I asked the people who run the ranch, I'm like, can he stay in this room while we're here? And they were like, I guess so. <laughs> like everyone was kind of like. Is that weird if he just stays in the ranch? So he slept in the Willow's house, and uh, he his he ate that uh, that rotisserie chicken after it had been no rotisserie. oh no <laughs> he had no other food. So he would so I would order I would at the house we stayed in I had we had food in our fridge so I would grab food on the way out the door like we had carrots and. We had some sandwich stuff, so I would just grab a lunch, and then we would get uh, – the show would order us, you know, lunch. We got lunch every day. Mm-hmm. So we would – I would order two meals, but I'm a little dude, so I would just get, like, a big meal, and Daniel would get a big meal, and I would eat half of mine, and he would eat, you know, three-quarters of his, and then he'd save the rest of it for dinner – and then he'd have dinner or, or he'd eat off of that rotisserie chicken or if we had some other prop that we brought on for the day or if someone wasn't going to finish their stuff, he would keep that for breakfast. So he just he just like grazed on set <laughs> as he made this movie and lived in that room and then would watch like straight up horror movies every night. He would like by himself in the dark on that ranch. He would watch he watched Evil Dead 2 and he watched a bunch of stuff. To kind of inspire himself for the next day. That's, nice. That's amazing. Like how I love I love that Father Gill basically seemed like your atypical Austinite. First thing he said to me, I'm a <laughs> I am a Texan by briefly living there and and just kind of by osmosis. Roy is a Texan Texan. The first thing he said to me is oh, that's filmed in Austin. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, and I, I learned that from, I mean, like the Cohen brothers watching the way they film and just instantly being like, okay, where are we? Let's embrace what we have here. Like let's embrace all of this locale. And I always loved that. I loved the way that whether you've been to the places that 
the Coen brothers movies take place, you feel like you're there, like you've been there, which really isn't that difficult. You get the things that are iconic of that spot. Austin has, you know, Texas has those beautiful sunsets. I had to film the beautiful sunset. Like I had to get it. You see it. You're just like, oh, my God nowhere else on the planet i've been all over the world that sunset is completely different i don't know if it's the way the desert pops the sun or what happens there but it just is different um so i had to get that sunset in a few times um the just yeah just i had only been in austin literally i'd only been there for a week i knew very little about austin i'd been there once before in fact if you have you guys been to austin oh yeah so do you know the bar? It's called Barbarella's? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I've been kicked out of that place all three times that I've been there. And not intentionally. Like, it's like a running story. I went there with my um, family for my sister-in-law's wedding. And um, I was just hanging out. And all of a sudden, I got grabbed by the back of my collar. I'm like, what the fuck? And they're like, you got to get out of here. I'm like, why? And they're like, your wife just started fighting with the owner. I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. And, like, I kicked out that time because of my wife. Then the second time, they have, like, this booth on the side that's covered in drawings. Like, it's covered in graffiti. And in Minnesota, like, that's a thing. You draw on the booth. Like, it's like a, yeah. you know, right of passage thing. So I start drawing on the booth. And all of a sudden, this guy picks me up and pulls me to the ATM. I'm like, what the fuck, man? He's like... That's cost, that's gonna cost you two thousand dollars. That's graffiti, and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, this thing is covered in drawings. He's like, that's two thousand dollars. You can't draw on that. This is private property. You cannot draw on that. I'm like, oh, I'm not giving you two. Or he's like, you're you're giving me two thousand dollars. I'm like, no. He's like, okay, that's three thousand dollars. I'm like, okay, let's make it a million. I don't have it. <laughs> I don't have that much in my account, guy. So I don't know what you think is going to happen. He's like, all right, I'm calling the police. And I'm like, that's great. Get them over here because I'm going to show them the shitty Bart Simpson I was drawing. On your and I cannot wait to go to jail for shitty Bart Simpson. Um, and he's like, he's like, I know you have money. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And at that time, I was there for South by Southwest with Rebel Without a Crew. And I had the like platinum badge that el rey network had paid for for me so it looked like i was in money with that badge and he looked at it and he's like i know you have money i'm like dude el rey network paid for this i you think i bought this badge look at what i'm wearing man i dress like a bum and he's like all right get out of here and let me go um but yes i i just i got really into the austin vibe really quickly it when i got there and i'm like well, we got to embrace all of that stuff. So I was like, Texas flag in the background. Just embrace the dirtiness of Texas. I say that in a good way, but there's just like a, a dirtiness to a lot of oh, the yeah. places I've gone. Yeah. And we really rolled with it. That's awesome. So I don't know. Can you like the the process of the show? Like I'm real, I I was interested in this. The the Rebels had a crew show. Like, did they provide you with the location, or did you go scout it? Yeah, so it's on the. It, it, we you see it in the show. They basically gave us a book of film friendly locations that okay. Robert had. Well, our producers had technically found most of these because Robert uses way more expensive places. But they had um, sure. they found us a whole bunch of locations and. Um, they gave us 15 minutes to look through this book and pick out the locations that we would think would work. And then, and they make it seem in the show like it was like, 
these are the ones you picked and you're stuck with them, which isn't really the truth. We kind of traded stuff and, you know, <laughs> we went and location sure. scouted and whatever. But uh, there, there aren't, so there are a bunch of things. I wrote a basement into the script. There's like all of Maria's stuff was supposed to take place in the basement of the bed and breakfast. There are no basements in Texas. There's just, like a basement <laughs> yeah. is a totally yep. northern thing. So, yep. um, so they were like, basically, they told me instantly. They were like, okay, you're not going to find a basement. That's going to be really tough for you to find. You're going to have to be really clever with it or think outside the box. So I was like, okay. And so I looked at these locations and I started seeing like. Oh, and the big thing was I needed a church and they had three churches that I could get into. One looked like the, you know, brick Lutheran church. That's, you know, like a box. Yep. The other looked like a, you know, huge, tall, steepled Catholic church that seemed overwhelming because there would be nuns looking at me. And then there was another church that was like this cute little white church that uh, I was like, oh, this is cute. But it was on this huge other property that had all these other houses and stuff. And I'm like, so what are these houses? And the producers explained to me, they're like, it's this huge ranch that they turned into this film set, whatever. And they're like, and it's only like 15 minutes from your house you're going to be staying at. And I was like, what? Like, I don't have to do company moves. I get a church and I get these houses. I'm changing the whole script. And in, in, on the show, on the show, in the show, you hear me say, oh, these trees, I'm going to have to change my whole script. Like, that is not at all what I said. It is what I said. It's the literal words. But I was like, oh, there's a church here, which is great. And these houses would be perfect for, like, a ranch instead of a bed and breakfast. But I I was picturing dead trees. This tree is too alive. Like, what am I going to do about these trees? Oh, I've got to change my whole script. So that's where it came from, was me, like, pontificating about this massive change of idea to it being a ranch and not a bed and breakfast but when i went and when i went and scouted it i was instantly like i could do my whole movie here like this we get a film set we get to go to camp here every day so that's what we did we just every day was there and the whole movie was shot there except for um and, and and i when i went to location scout i met the people who own it and they were totally sweethearts and i'm like oh these guys are not gonna care when i blow up a teddy bear on their front (laughs) So, <laughs> so and, and this ranch is mostly used for weddings, like 90 percent is for weddings. So I went there. I loved it. And the only and then I had to film um, the intro to the movie, the uh, exorcism of the little girl. I can't now I can't. I'm spacing out what her name is, Jill. And so the exorcism of Jill, I needed to film that somewhere. So I just filmed that at the house we were staying at. And that was a free location. I didn't even have to do anything for that. Um, maybe there was one. Oh, and then we filmed at Troublemaker Studios. That's where we filmed the hell sequence. Was I wanted Daniel to have to kneel in the same place Bruce Willis stood in that scene in Planet Terror. So that was like my <laughs> oh, big thing nice. when, he, when, he cut, when they cut the guy's nuts oh, off. I wanted him to be in that same spot that Bruce Willis stood, or at least the same vicinity. I don't literally know exactly where he stood, but I, I wanted that same kind of spot. So I sort of like watched the scene and then kind of equated like, well, it would be kind of right here. That's amazing. So Daniel kneels in hell in the same place Bruce Willis Bruce Willis stood tall and cut a guy's nuts off. That's um, amazing. Yeah. Um, speaking speaking of Troublemaker Studios and everything, I need to know exactly how much of Father Trejo and how much 
of Maria were based off of uh, Danny Trejo and Michelle Rodriguez. Well, when I wrote Father Trejo, so I knew I was going on, or I knew I was attempting to go on Rebel Without a Crew when I wrote that script. So essentially what happened was I got, I made a cartoon that used Michael Parks' voice and then Michael Parks died. And so I had Michael Parks' last performance. And you can see it. It's on my YouTube. It's a really weird little cartoon um, called um, Other Fish that I did with my friend Josh Roush. And we got Michael Parks' voice. So we did that. And then I was like, well, Robert needs to see this. And I just happened to see that they were asking for animation for this show that they were doing on El Rey Network. It was like a spur-of-the-moment thing that I saw. And I sent that short and another short called Tim the Terrible. And I got a message back from Robert's company saying, like, we love other fish. We love that you got Michael Parks. We get it. But there's nothing we can do with this. This little short is fucked up and we have nowhere. <laughs> it's really it's really weird. And that's it's, El Rey saying that, by the yeah, way. Yeah, but it's, it's not fucked up in that way. It's like a weird drama done in, like, cartoon form. Because it's, like, about a girl who wants to – this mom who gets divorced and wants to swim this channel and her daughter and – father are trying to convince her not to do it because the waters have been like shark infested and then while she's in the midst of trying to swim this channel she does get like bit by a shark or like a shark attacks her and it's not really funny it's not really like action-packed it's just fucked up (laughs) (laughs) and so anyway go watch it you'll see what i mean yeah yeah oh absolutely and it's, but it's done in like a cartoon network style, so it's really <laughs> off-putting, but in the best way. But um, they were like, we can't do anything with this, but we love Tim the Terrible. Can we buy that and put it on the show? And I was like, yes, sure, that's fine. And they were like, we want to fly you out to El Rey Network and put you on the show talking about it a little bit. So I flew out, did that, and while I was talking to the showrunner on that show, he was like, hey, we're starting this other show uh, called Rebel Without a Crew. He actually saw because I I carry the book Rebel Without a Crew with me everywhere. It's like my Bible, and he saw that I had that, um, just in my backpack all the time. And so he was like, "Hey, you like Rebel Without a Crew? We're trying to pitch a show to Robert right now where we make seven feet or make five features for seven thousand dollars over fourteen days. Could you do that in animation?" I was like, "Hell no! This two minute short you guys just showed took me like six months, but I've done live action stuff." And so he was like, okay, cool. We'll get your info. So then he called me, and he, but he asked me if I had a feature script, and I just lied to him and said yes. And then he contacted me like a couple of weeks later and was like, hey, can you send me that script? We're, we're actually moving forward with the show. And I was like, yeah, can I have like a week to uh, touch it up? Because I need to, uh, yeah, just I feel like there's some misspellings and I have an idea for a character. He's like, yeah, yeah, have two weeks. That's when we need the scripts in by. And I was like, yeah, great. I'll get it to you in two weeks. So then I hung up the phone and I called Daniel. And I'm like, Daniel, we need to write. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that night I actually, he asked me to send me the synopsis, which I had no synopsis. Uh, I didn't know what the movie was. I had no idea what we were going to do. I literally just, I asked Daniel, I was like, I, you need to be in the same costume the whole movie because I don't want you doing a bunch of wardrobe changes. So you're either going to be a clown or a priest. And Daniel was like, I don't want to put on makeup every day, man. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you're a priest. And so we started writing the movie based on him being a priest. And I, I think it was maybe like two or three days later, they needed the synopsis and like a rundown by so I that morning I took a picture of my um, 
my at all at, you maybe saw this poster somewhere it's kind of out and about but it's like a bunch of different things like a crucifix a gun yep. a picture of a little boy and a bunch of stuff on a table i just took that picture in my living room on our on my living room table and set random stuff i had laying around down on the table and made a little poster sent it with a, like a synopsis of the movie a few characters that i made up on the fly um general ideas of what monsters could be in the movie and i i you can see this somewhere i posted the thing that i sent to l ray network it's just like a three page pitch bible basically um i did that that morning and sent it off to them and it turns out that's what got me on the show more than wow. anything they like the fact that i had done like a full breakdown and synopsis i did that in probably three hours daniel did the good exorcist logo the the one that still exists the one with the smiley face Daniel did that that morning while I did all the other stuff and we sent it off <laughs> and that and then we spent two weeks writing the script together and got it out. That's amazing. That, that is, is amazing. That's one of those stories that you hear, you know, like, yeah, I said I do. I didn't have anything. So yeah, we made it. like <laughs> just lied. We just lied our way to, to L Ray Network um, or to Troublemaker Studios. I remember that first moment Robert walked in to talk to us and. I was just like, I wanted to just be like, dude, you you guys are so stupid. There has to be someone out there better than this. Because I just lied my whole way here. Um, but yeah, it was it was a super fun process. And it taught me, I mean, I because I had tried to do Greywood's plot the year before, and it was awful. Like, we failed miserably making it. Um I mean, it, it was a completely different movie than the Greywoods plot you see now. There's probably like maybe maybe 8% of that movie is from the first shoot. but And there were scenes that we came up with from it. A lot of great B-roll. A lot of the B-roll you see in the movie is actually from that first shoot. But not, almost all of it got redone and fixed. But that was because I learned so much on Rebel Without a Crew that I was just like, oh, we got to go. In fact, I said it, you know. When you make a movie, the last shot is called your martini shot. It's like, you know, everyone does a cheers as you and then you do your last take and you all cry and whatever. We didn't have time to cry. I had to get back <laughs> and I had awful, awful bronchitis. I had to go. I went straight to the hospital, actually. After Holy we God. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I spent my last night instead of partying. I went to uh, my our producer. We She was our mama on set, like our actual overall producer. She had been on a music video shoot for two days, and I got horrible bronchitis. I was, like, hawking up blood in the shower. Like, it was awful. And um, there's a scene on the show where you'll see, you'll hear how I actually sounded at that time, which they don't show a lot of because it sounded awful. But Avery at one point goes, you sound like a dying cat. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> but uh, I... Yeah, I, I, we wrapped that martini shot, and I turned to Daniel, sick as a dog, bronchitis lungs, and said, dude, you know what we got to do next? And he was like, yeah, I know, we got to do Greywood's plot. And then I packed up all my shit, headed back to the house, walked in the door, and I'm pretty, I'm easily excited. Like, I'm antsy as hell, and just naturally. And I walked in the door, and I was just like, I'm going to fucking bed. And I walked upstairs <laughs> and laid down, laid down in my bed. And apparently the producer was in the other room, like watching the monitors. And she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? He is sick. Like, why is he here? And came and instantly drove me to the hospital. And the doctors did a bunch of x-rays and stuff. And we're just like, yeah, man, you've got like 
really bad bronchitis. Like <laughs> that's that's insane. That's dedication to the craft right there. Yeah. Um, I I have a photo of the last day as we left, all of the medicine that I took the last like five days. Like I had this whole like thing of medicine to try to get over this deathly illness. Because I wasn't taking like we were shooting twelve. We were shooting ten hour days. Um, but we were shooting 12 hour days, except they had an hour prep for the reality show, an hour breakdown for the reality show, an hour lunch for everyone, and then an hour divvied up throughout the day to do OTFs, which are those things where you turn to the camera and you're like, this has been a really tough day. I can't believe how hard it's been. I really wish that I could figure out how to make this movie, those stupid things. Yeah. The sucky thing is a lot of the show, they show like you know, the drama that was happening on other sets and all this other stuff. We had none. Like, we had zero drama. The drama you see, it's my bronchitis and uh, Pierce Brosnan's show, The Sun. It was an AMC show. What? Um, they came in and started destroying our set. Like, the what? second room by end. Yeah. So it's really funny. As you watch the movie, you could see the set, like, deteriorate and get older. It's because they were, like, trying to turn that set into, like, a 1700s or, or maybe late 17, early 1800s Western set for this show, The Sun. What? And yeah, they just, and they didn't care because they were all like hired to do it. And there's this, you know, little dude and his tall buddy running around with a camera filming teddy bears dying <laughs> while, while this place is also having people walk around to check it out for their next wedding. At one, we were literally filming. <laughs> the teddy bear gut scene as that teddy bear like goes flying yeah. guts falling out um we were filming that sequence and this lady walks by us with this gross look on her face and they're kind of like talking about the wedding and daniel turns to her while he's like running the camera holding a bag full of fake uh bread dough guts and he's like have a nice wedding <laughs> 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 you and daniel have been friends for a while then since kindergarten yeah daniel okay, okay. yeah yeah so it's wow. funny uh we met we met literally at the same time robert rodriguez was filming uh el mariachi because really? we realized that because they did this show for the 25th anniversary of el mariachi and daniel and i started doing the math when someone was asking and they were like how long have you been friends and we we're like since kindergarten they're like, well how long is that and we started doing the math we're like 25 years and we're like oh whoa 25 years that's what we're here for like literally we robert was filming el mariachi daniel and i were meeting and becoming friends because we both wore skeleton costumes for halloween <laughs> it was a friendiversary actually yep. is what's yes. happening there it was very much so <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing. I do want to ask, uh, I saw something on Twitter, um, and it's not bad. <laughs> you can see a lot on Twitter. Yeah. Um, are you writing a book? Am I writing a book? Did I post that I'm writing a book? I thought you did. I Well, uh, th- that's a, I, I may have. I sometimes post very stream of conscious. I'm just like, <laughs> ah, let's throw this up there. Um <laughs> this that's it's funny you bring it up because i am sort of writing a book but it's really? in the very early stages that daniel and i started talking about this concept of you know as we move forward in our career i w- i decided i wanted to write a book on like the thing that's not really talked about in filmmaking books is like how you balance 
independent filmmaking with life and job and the story of like what happens between the filmmaking you know robert kind of goes into it in rebel without a crew but he also was you know 22 or whatever yeah you know it's like it's easy for a 22 year old kid to run off for a few (laughs) months and go make a movie that's that's simple doing it for 10 years and making three features with literally ten thousand dollars like i don't honestly i don't even know what i've spent on these movies altogether um I thought it would be interesting and also kind of breaking down more of the, the true tips. Like I, I was the reason why this came up and this is probably why I posted this was um, I was listening to the Duplass. I, I read a ton of filmmaking books and I, I had just finished the Oliver Stone book. Um, and then I, I read Indie Filmmaker, which was by is it called? No, True Indie by um, Don Coscarelli. And then I read the Duplass brothers book like brothers like right in a row and all of them I was like yeah but these guys all were really into filmmaking as like their number one thing like all of these books are all about filmmaking and none of them have job jobs like they don't do it as a side it's not the side hustle and maybe they did but they never talk about that all they ever talk about is like the filmmaking and the passion for filmmaking I have the passion for filmmaking, but it truly is like a side hustle. Like, it's just a passion for me. Um, yeah, that may be changing now. So maybe now is the time to start writing it and and making sure I get all my facts straight before I'm 20 years later and seeing it through different glasses, you know, rose tinted glasses or whatever. Like, I, I so I started this. I started putting it down on on paper, trying to figure out, like, what are the tips? Awesome. What are the what are the stories I want to tell? What could I say to someone who is 19 going like, I want to be a filmmaker from the perspective <laughs> of the guy who didn't become the, you know, I didn't get the million dollars to make the movie when I was 24 because I broke into it. I had to do it for 15 years to make three features, you know, that and, you know, hundreds of shorts and hundreds of animated films and all these pitches and worked with Kevin Smith and worked with Lloyd Kaufman and worked with Robert Rodriguez and all these amazing things. But it's still a lot of work. And I'm, you know, I'm not I'm not a millionaire. <laughs> like, that, I'm, I'm you know, I'm I'm one of those bold thousandaires that still spends all of his money on his films to, to get out there and go to film festivals and do this stuff because I love it that much. That's that's awesome. And, and so, you know, you, you, you got one guaranteed sale when it comes out. Yeah, I know. I yeah. will tell you I will buy that immediately. Hell yeah. I would I would love your. If you ever decide to do this, I would love your list of filmmaking books because um, I love to read it like like I do. I have a I have a huge list. I, I read a lot. The last like two years, I have made it a big point of my life to make sure I'm always reading a book like I I'm so I maybe three years ago I started following this thing that I don't remember where I read it but I every day I write down and sometimes I plan it out through the week and it changes and adapts but I write out five things every day I want to do three things I accomplished and one thing I'm thankful for every day I do that um and so but in the past two years, one of the things I I want to write in there, whether it's I accomplished or it's on my to do list, because sometimes those things cross over and sometimes they're totally different things. Um, but read has to be on there somewhere every day. Mm-hmm. 
So, yeah, I have a huge list of them. Filmmaking is my passion. So I have a huge list of filmmaking books that I've read. That's awesome. That's nice. awesome. Hi there, fun seekers. Are you looking for cinema that is absolutely 100% independently made, but also extremely unique and outside of the box? Well, look no further than Troma Pictures and the Troma Now streaming service. Watch.troma.com is your home for everything from Lloyd Kaufman and his band of very fun individuals. Everything from the Toxic Avenger and beyond at your fingertips. Only $4.99 a month, but your first 30 days are free. Did I say free? Yes, they're free. So what are you waiting for? Go to watch.troma.com and sign up. Also available on your Apple and Android devices, on the Roku stick, and also on the Fire Stick. Let's get freaky. Oh, um, now, how did the good exorcist get into the hands of Lloyd Kaufman? Ah, uh, good question. Man, that is a good question, because I truly don't remember how it exactly started, except for, yeah, it's just, like, the actual way, so, I think I was running a podcast for Flush Studios, and I somehow... I'm sorry I'm pausing because I'm I'm really trying to okay. wrap my brain how it happened. But like <laughs> somehow John Brennan and I became friends and I don't remember how John Brennan and I got hooked up uh, as far as I don't remember if I knew he worked for Troma, like from Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or something. And I'm like, hey, man, would you come on the podcast and talk about Troma? And we just hit it off. Or if I was doing visual effects on something and Troma asked me to do the visual effects first. Or if I think maybe it all started because I sent, I think that fucked up short. The other thing I sent to Troma and they played it at Troma Dance. And then John Brennan reached out to me about animation for something. And I was like, cool, man, you want to come on my podcast and talk about Troma? And we started talking and I don't, I don't remember the exact way it went, but then I started doing visual effects and Lloyd really liked my visual effects on one of the one of his other movie on his earlier movies. <clears throat> and then he was in the process of Shakespeare Shitstorm and like early, early on. And John Brennan reached out to me because he produced it and was like, hey, I know we don't have a budget. You know, we're we're trauma. But would you do an animated sequence for Shakespeare Shitstorm? I was like, hell yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. So I did an animated sequence for Shakespeare Shitstorm, which Time magazine in their review of Shakespeare's shitstorm, said, um, the one thing that seems to elevate this movie is Josh Stifter's animation, which I found <laughs> extremely <laughs> because I animated a guy shitting in a bucket and a crack house. Like, that is the animation. Oh my god, that was your animation? Yeah, so I did that oh, animation. Well, that was one all of you should have heard the laugh at the Texas theater when that scene happened. Oh my god. Amazing. But I just love that Time Magazine was like, the movie is elevated by this. And I'm just like, I literally animated a guy shitting in a bucket. Like, it's so it, it's so awful. It, like, but I guess I elevated the movie into Time, to Time Magazine. Um, 
<laughs> Tell me but that's not framed somewhere in your house, though. I, I don't, but I should. Oh, I definitely yeah. should frame it. Especially uh, when you have a character who's like a paraplegic, can't speak unless they put a vocoder up to their neck, ass eater. Yeah. The movie gets elevated by an animated segment of someone taking a shit in a bucket. Exactly. I get it. I understand. <laughs> but I did. And then I did a lot of the like visual effects. I like got rid of wires i added blood when the girl shoots herself at the beginning i animated the, the whale the whale falling on the people the like um <laughs> that audience the audience of like I don't, is shakespeare in that shot whoever's in that scene of like the panel a whale mm-hmm. falls down and then blood sprays up all over i did that the, the fail well yeah yeah um so anyway i did a bunch of shit for that movie and then lloyd reached out to me and and I don't, I don't, I think I asked them if I could get the movie, put the movie on Troma now, and there's a whole legal battle, because I didn't own the rights, but then I got the rights back, we put it on Troma now, and then I talked to, um, John Ferry, who was their new, their new John Brennan, like, a couple of years ago, and he and I were having a conversation, and he was like, hey, we want to do a physical run of stuff, would you ever, would you be legally able to do The Good Exorcist? I'm like, only if we do, like, a bunch of bonus features and stuff, he's like, of course, so... <laughs> So he he put that together and made it a, made it an official trauma movie, um, nice. which made me very happy. Like made the the ten year or eleven year old in me who snuck watching Toxic Avenger, like uh, that was one of the the big honors of my life is to have a movie on trauma. Um, and I actually met Lloyd for the first time in person. I've talked to him like you know a bunch of times, but the first time I met him in person was like three weeks ago here in Atlanta. Um, he came to a, a Comic Con and we had just like the best conversation. It was so nice to actually talk. Oh, to he's an amazing guy. Yeah. And he he said the Time Magazine thing. He's like, "Hey, it's the guy who elevates my movies." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. He, he uh, I, you got to do more with Trauma, man. I would love to. Talking about doing a animated Toxic Avenger Thanksgiving movie. Um, oh, yeah, wow. but but you know how those these things go, where it's like it's a lot of work, and someone's got to start. So I have to start writing a script and get it done to make it happen, and then I have to, you know, we just gotta we gotta find out how it works or how this will work. But um, yeah, it's a matter of just bringing it all together because I would love to. In fact. You know, we have a whole bunch of projects in the works right now, uh, Daniel and I do, but, and, you know, stuff gets in the way of stuff gets in the way of stuff, but I still, like, I'm hoping I have, like, a solid chunk of time to sit down and just write a actual trauma movie. Like, I think The Good Exorcist is the epitome of um, a G-rated trauma movie, which is what I want. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't feel that way. Yeah, yeah, we still get TV mature. You know what I mean? Like it's still got cuss words, and you know your souls or, will be raped for a thousand eternities in hell, or whatever the evil uh, record player says. And you know, there's cheesy blood and whatever, but it's like the G-rated version of that, which is what I wanted because I wanted to be the guy. My dream is that I'm the guy that 30 years from now, some kid who can't watch, you know, his parents won't let him watch bad movies he can get away with watching the good exorcist which is really funny because my son today told me or yesterday told me 
he has three friends who watched The Good Exorcist, and now they're huge fans of it. And I was like, oh, that's it. That's what I did it for, like, for that kid. Because I wanted to make, you I, like, the movies that we saw as kids on, I mean, I don't know how old you guys are, but, like, when I was a kid, I would stay up late and watch, um, you know, Joe Bob shows. Like, yeah. literally, it was, like, yeah. Joe Bob shows. And there would be R-rated movies, but they'd all be censored for TV. So I never saw the vulgar stuff. I And I liked that. I liked being a kid and being like, I can get away with this, and my mom isn't going to catch me seeing something terrible on TV, but I can watch an R-rated movie where the cussing is edited. I don't feel like I'm being, you know, shitty about it. And not shitty, but, like, I'm not going to get in trouble. Like, I'm essentially not going to get in trouble. That's what I wanted to make. I wanted to make that version of a of a modern movie, which just doesn't really exist anymore. No one's doing that. No, not at all. And it's not, it, it's impossible. It's impossible to get a movie that's made for TV because no one's watching TV. So there's no R-rated for kids anymore. So I tried to make the R-rated for kids where you still feel like you're being a little bit naughty. You know, there's some blood, but it's cheesy and it's fun, but you can get away with it. Uh, I also knew it was going to be played on L Ray Network. So I was like, well, I can't do anything that they're going to cut. I need to make sure that this movie is okay to be played. And I want to see how far I can push the boundaries with them and get away with some bad words and some blood and some fun stuff. Um, and I even wrote the movie. I specifically, or not wrote it, edited the movie for commercial breaks. There are like commercial breaks written into that movie specifically for the times. You'll Jeez. watch it and you'll, and you'll be like, there are commercial breaks here. And then I watched it on El Rey Network and they used none of them. I was like, why does it cut there? Like we're in the middle of a sequence. Like Father Gill's hand is going down to touch the Bible and it all of a sudden cuts. And I'm like, what the, f like you guys just killed me right there. Like that ruins the whole thing. But a minute before, like, yeah, a minute before that, Father Gill is, you know, goes from him talking with Maria and being like, um, you know, whatever. She starts to bleed from her eye and walks yeah. off to um, him sitting in a chair. That's a perfect edit point. Like, it's a perfect edit point. <laughs> and it's only a minute difference. You cannot tell me that you can't change that minute if for some reason you had to. Like, I just don't buy it. Um <laughs> Yeah, they even cut, they cut when the scene where Maria pukes up the demon and then it runs across the ground and then yeah. it cuts to that really cool shot where they like kick open the door and she's like, she says something, um, says some motherfucker line. I can't remember what it is, but um, they cut between those two shots. So when they cut back in, she like, they're like, Father Gill like gets up and they run to the door and then it cuts and then it cuts to her kicking open the door where I'm just like, there, that's a minute long sequence with Abaddon before we kill him. You can't wait till after we kill Abaddon to cut to the commercial. Oh, it was it was brutally hard to watch, but whatever. Um, which reminded me, uh, Roy, you had asked the question, which I'll just quickly, quickly answer. I had written the Father Trejo character because I was like, well, maybe Robert can hook me up with casting Trejo. Nice. That'd, be, that'd be a dream come oh, true. Can you imagine? Like, oh, my God. That would be a dream come true. That would be the greatest thing. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. Like, I love Danny Trejo. I absolutely love Danny Trejo. He's, he is, more than anything, the reason why I love Robert Rodriguez. Like, as a kid, I just thought Danny Trejo was the best. I'm a short dude. He's a short dude. Like, I'm... 
just related. I grew up going, I grew up spending a lot of time in Mexico. So I really liked this badass Mexican dude. It just really mm -hmm. resonated with me. Um, and so I wrote that in there because I'm like, well, let's just try. Let's see what happens. And, of course, you know, there's no way I could get that because Danny Trejo is SAG and he wasn't going to show up not doing a SAG. Uh, so I had I had literally based that on Danny Trejo and the Maria Maria never actually had the eye thing. Um, Daniel wrote that as we as. He, as I was just landing or I was in the airport waiting for my flight to get there, Daniel was like what do you think about Maria having an eye patch? And I was like, what? And he's like, what do you think about Maria having an eye patch? And I'm like, why? And he's like, well, what if you get there and they let you use some of the wardrobe? Because you're not going to have wardrobe. You could grab an eye patch. Robert's probably got like a bunch of them laying around. Because <laughs> he's got eye patches. In so I, I love like, that. I love that take. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, all right, I guess. And we started sitting down and rewriting it and wrote the that at into the script um and, and actually originally the devil voice was written to be when father gill talks to the devil on the phone that same in that same airport at that same time we had written the devil really evil and i was rereading the script and i was like what if i just do the voice and i just write myself as my like nice guy voice like my shitty nice hey father gill how are you doing man that and, was you yeah and so i just holy did, shit yeah, it was you nice yeah, so I just did the voice. I did all the demon voices. I did every demon in the movie. So, um, cuz I just I didn't I didn't have anyone I could hire to do it. So I was just yeah. like, fuck it, I'll just do the demon. So I'm Abaddon through the whole movie just going like Father Gill, Father Gill. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I I don't want to keep you any longer. I know it's late. Um I do have one question that I want to ask pertaining to our show. And knowing you and, and, and basing it on what we've talked about, I think you're going to give me some good answers. We were talking before the show about the deep cut cult movies, like like going going deep into the into the crust of the earth to find these movies. Do you have any recs for Roy and I for movies we might not have seen yet that are just like real real bangers you know ah, man that's really tough because i know you guys are pretty deep and i'm i do love a lot but i'm also like i'm trying to think man this is really tough because i'm one of those weird people who like i love the deep cut movies and i can watch anything and turn my turn my brain off so i watch some really fucked up stuff <laughs> but i also watch a lot of like I get really inspired. And like I said, I love Mystery Science Theater 2000. I get really, and I watch those movies unironically. Like I will, I'll watch, I'll legitimately watch something like um, Final Sacrifice without the Mystery Science Theater 3000 audio commentary and just be like, oh my God, that's actually a cool shot. Like they got that. Or, oh, I get what he was going for in that performance. But I'm trying to think like, I'm, I want to like, turn around and look at my movies um <laughs> and see if i have i literally i would have had a whole bunch but i just rearranged my office and moved a whole bunch of them it's okay like I'm, we go from permutos to the movie boom <laughs> like yeah. we're all over the map man like um cult movies throw a couple at me see if you could jog mode it like throw some some really good uh movies you've talked about in the past couple episodes 
so oh, like god well like we can go all the way back to episode one with like liquid sky yeah uh oh yeah that's uh, right. uh, uh kiss our favorite is kiss meets the phantom of the park like, okay i do not like, know that, that one. ranked the highest in our in our you know rankings um, of i'm movies trying to think of like ever. what are some of those like weird trauma movies oh that no one knows that i know i've seen but i'm like trying to think of them off the top of my head i'm i'm not good at like on the spot that's okay i'm sorry to put you on the spot no no you're good though i I, like now it's a challenge for me to try to come up with something (laughs) that and also like terror firmer and i don't know how we talked about it on a podcast but we did so we managed to without giving away spoilers or just like how do we not spoil this movie and we're like okay well we'll just sit there and go wow that happened a lot uh yeah Terra Firmer has one of the, or is it Terra Firmer that has the, yeah, I think it, I get some of the documentaries confused. I think Terra Firmer has a really good documentary on it. Um, oh, yeah, the, you, okay, uh, okay, the, so, kind of like the parody of the, uh, I, I, I think it's available also on Troma now. I think it's like Farts of Darkness, I think it's Farts called. Farts of Darkness, like that. yeah. Okay, so th- oh, here's my shout out. This is, this is actually really deep. If you're, I'm a documentary nerd, and so, uh, like, I have talked to very few people besides extreme trauma fans who know about this, but Lloyd makes fantastic documentaries on, like, all of his movies, and so Poultrygeist has an amazing documentary. What? Yes, it's one of the most fantastic documentaries I've ever seen. It's just the best behind the scenes I think it is called, um, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Poltergeist. It is called, oh, damn it. This is going to drive me. I, I'm sorry. I'm just going to look it up because I can't. Please do. Uh, Please do. Um, it is called Poultry in Motion. God damn it. Oh, that's good. Oh, that is a great Poultry name. Mo- it's called Poultry in Motion. Truth is Stranger Than Chicken. And it is it, for like a lot. <laughs> So I got a story relating this all back to me. Uh, <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so on Rebel Without a Crew, we weren't allowed to watch TV or listen to music because they couldn't get the rights to it. So and we were filmed 24-7. The only time we could is every Sunday. Um, there's this law. I think it's a legal issue where they would have to sequester us in a hotel room. So every Sunday we'd be put in a hotel room. So like the 14 days that we f- filmed weren't in a row. They were like, you know, five, then we had two days off, then five, then we had two days off, then we filmed for four. Um, So, like, on Saturday, that's when we did all of our photo shoots. So, like, the first Saturday, we had to go do our photo shoot and whatever. Then on Sunday, we went, we would be sequestered and we'd have to be cut off from everyone. We could talk to our families on the phone, but we couldn't talk to each other, all of this other stuff, which isn't even true. Um, Spilling some tea, but... Fuck you, El Rey Network. Uh, uh, Avery, or not Avery. Um, Alejandro, one of the other filmmakers, and I called each other on the phone and drank about twelve beers while getting blasted that once one Sunday night <laughs> on the <laughs> I just got shit faced drunk. <laughs> um, they the next morning at like five a.m. they picked me up at my hotel room. I'm just like, hey everybody. <laughs> They're like, dude, you got to go to set, and I'm like, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> But they uh, 
um, anyway, we couldn't watch TV or, or listen to music except for the sequester days. And so one day I got really stressed out and I was super pissed off and I crawled under my bed, which had the, uh, it still had the chains on it from when we filmed Jill's exorcism in my bed. <laughs> um, so that scene was filmed in my bed. So I had a, a girl chained to my bed at one point, but I was nowhere near it. Um, but I crawled under it. That's for my wife. <laughs> I, I crawled under the bed and pulled the sheets down over the bed like a psychopath and watched poultry in motion and like with my headphones in and no one was around and I just hoped I didn't get caught, but I needed something to like disconnect from the reality show. So somewhere there's out there, there's footage out there of me on a GoPro crawling under my bed with my phone watching <laughs> poultry in motion. <laughs> uh, I, I really want to ask you like a thousand. I, I continually want like everything you say. I'm like, oh my god, I gotta ask that. But I also um, realized how comfortable I was under my bed versus on my bed sleeping. <laughs> people don't realize is how terrifying it is to lay in bed with cameras on you yeah. because we know they're not they're not going to use the footage. But like, if I wake up with a boner, like that's on camera. Like they they have that. So what? Mm-hmm. You know, that's just weird. Like, it felt really weird to me. And it ne- nothing really bad ever happened, although there's definitely, you know, footage of me farting somewhere. But uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I I realized crawling under my bed was better. So I, I ended up sleeping under my bed the next, like, three nights in a row. <laughs> nice. How, instead, instead of sleeping on the chains. Because I didn't take the chains off. I didn't have the time. Oh, and, and they were all oh wrapped God. up. So I just, I just left the chains on my bed and, like, slept under them or around them how weird was it to live under camera like that that couldn't have been something you were used to going in oh yeah it fucking sucked it was (laughs) awful it was bad it was bad it was i mean i didn't mind it because i I, luckily i mean it kind of proved to myself that i'm not a terribly shitty person because i didn't do anything awful and i felt like i was portrayed pretty much like myself and i felt okay about the watching myself back on the show i didn't feel like you know, I didn't feel like a piece of shit, um, but I did. Um, it, it is awful because you're constantly worried. Like you can't go take a piss without worrying that someone's listening to you. You don't take off your microphone. You know, it's on you all the time. You're worried that you're going to say something that's offensive. You're worried that you're going to look dumb. Like there's just that all the time. At one point, I called my wife. I was going to quit the show because one of the fi- one of the camera guys filmed me through an apple I had eaten. So I had eaten this apple, then I had set it down on the desk and they were filming me with the apple sitting there. And in my sleep deprived mind, he was making me look like trash. Like that's, I was starting to direct what they were doing. And in my head, I'm like, okay, so there's the shot of me looking really nasty, sitting at the desk, editing, sweating, because I was editing every night after we filmed to try to make sure I got everything I needed. So I I had a cut of the movie done the last day we filmed. Um, and so like a really, really rough cut, but it was still, I knew I had all the footage I needed. And so he was doing that. And I freaked out at him. I started yelling. At him. I'm like, fuck you, David, filming me like that. You piece of shit. And I like walked away, like all angry. And David's like, what did I do? I just <laughs> filming him. <laughs> um, so it gets to you. Like it definitely pushes you. You see how reality shows can get that shit out of people and make them feel awful and crabby and miserable. But overall, I was very happy with the experience. And honestly, I would do it again in a heartbeat. If Robert came to me, you know, 
10 years from now and was like, hey, we're doing another Rebel Without a Crew and we want you to come on as like, you know, the season director who's going to be on the show with a bunch of young people who haven't done it before. I would do it in a second, like in a heartbeat. Um, I do. I, I came up with one off the top of my head. So my buddy Sean made this another cult movie that no one has seen. Very few of you have seen. Uh, my buddy Sean made a movie that is on Troma now, and you can buy the Blu-ray from or the DVD from him, and it's fantastic. And it's called Homicide McCloud, and it is oh, the, it's a oh. complete, it's a completely uh, campy like gumshoe comedy done on the most shoestring of shoestring bu- budgets. You have to go into it with the mindset that it is like, it's like Naked Gun with no budget. Okay. Uh, but also a lot of blood and farts and a ton of cussing and, you know, literally one character is a blow up doll that just is a blow up doll for no other reason. They never it's never like called out as a blow up doll. He's just the, he's the doctor because Sean had a blow up doll and was like, I want to put the blow up doll in this scene. And he did he did two of them. There's Homicide McCloud one and Homicide McCloud two. And I had the, the pleasure of going to see it at an uh, old theater called the Plaza Theater here in Atlanta, this beautiful old little theater with like 30 seats in the in the room that we were in and watched both of them back to back on the big screen. And it was amazingly fun. And they're just they're Yeah, it's like it's like Naked Gun if it was done by someone who has five bucks and a bunch of shit laying around their house. And they're hilariously fun if you know what you're in for. And he just filmed his third one, and I was able to go and be uh, the camera person on it for three of the days and help him out. And the leap from the first two to the third one is almost as comical as the movies themselves, because it's going to be, like, so beautiful. The lighting crew, he rented a helicopter for a day (laughs) to to film a scene. To film a scene that it's 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 the movie is based on Old Man Slaughter is one of the characters in the first two movies. And he did like a prequel to Old Man Slaughter called Young Man Slaughter. And so um, or it's like it's I don't know if it's called that it might be called Old Man Slaughter, but it, it's a lot of prequel stuff. And there's like bu- jumping around in time and it's all about this one old man slaughter character. So whatever. But um Anyway, this old man slaughter movie, there's a scene where he's in a helicopter with a guy in a dog man costume, sort of like Scruff McGruff. And <laughs> so we we rented a, he rented a helicopter and I came out and filmed him. And this pilot was just watching us. This helicopter pilot came out with us and was watching us. And he's just like, what the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> and it was amazing. We had all these lights set up. It looked the shots are beautiful. It was an absolute blast. But uh, it that. The fact that he was able to get a helicopter, he rented a whole bunch of beautiful locations. It's really fantastic. And I highly recommend getting like really, really stoned and (laughs) like getting a huge thing of popcorn or beer or whatever your vice of choice is and watching Homicide McCloud while laughing your ass off that, that someone would actually make this movie. And you by the end, I think you'll really appreciate that someone did make that movie. Well, nice. there it is. Like that's that's on the docket, Roy. I think I could speak for both of us in that, right? Oh yeah. As you were describing it, I was adding it into my watch list on Trauma yeah. Now. So I was just like, it'll okay, be on this show. added. It'll be on this show for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was. This has been an absolute honor, 
and a blast, man. Absolute blast. Um, yeah, have, thanks guys for having me. No, I, plug it up, man. I want to know where everybody can find your podcast and the movies and whatever you got. Like where? Because everybody's gonna want it. Yeah, so if you go, let's see, what's the best route? I mean, go to joshstifter.com. You can follow me at Josh Stifter on Twitter. It's a good follow. At Flush Studios on Instagram. Um, my, you know, you can get uh, The Good Exorcist on Troma Now. You can also get a box set right now. I think it's, a, I think I have it available at the moment. Um, it's got the Blu-ray the two Father Gill comics, um, both one was written by Daniel, one was written by me. I did the art on one, um, and comes with a T-shirt that has the Rose Skull logo on it. So it's like a, it's, I call it the Father Gill box set. Um, get it while you can, because there is like 20 left or something. I just, <laughs> I, I made a batch of them because I had these T-shirts, and Troma, you know, sent me a bunch of Blu-rays, and I'm like, well, why don't I like get these to people because they you know they gave them to me to sell at cons or whatever and i was like well let's just get them out there and i didn't have a way to sell the comic because the comic um i can't sell a comic the shipping is like just not worth it yeah so i sell the comic at conventions and stuff but i was like how do i get it to people in any other way so it's autographed it's it's and it's the only run of the first edition i did a hundred of the first edition and then every other edition after this won't be autographed but it also will have things fixed in it like i noticed some typos and things like that so if you want that rare typo diversion uh get it well you can um <laughs> and then low budget rebels is the podcast i sit down with low budget filmmakers um and that that's going to change next season i'm going to talk to low budget just people in the industry and like kind of change it up so if i can find um low budget rebels just in general right now it's it's low budget rebels a filmmaking conversation but i'm gonna kind of make it just a, a general rebels of art conversation i think next season because there's people i i love talking to filmmakers but i'd love to change it up and talk to some comic book artists who just do it on their own and other rebels out there creating art so we'll see what happens but i think that's the plan and if you want to support what i do uh patreon.com slash flush studios is where you can see the behind the scenes. That's the modern version of the DVD bonus features for me. As I post all the behind the scenes on Patreon, you can get my uh, Stephen the Maggots comic every week. I post a page from that and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. And as a owner of the um, the Good Exorcist box, the Father Gill box, it is worth every damn cent. The T-shirt nice. is so soft. Great. Yeah. Um, uh, we did that with a company called Twin Cities Tees out of Minneapolis or out of uh, St. Paul and Minneapolis. They're like right between Minneapolis and St. Paul. But they, I was like, I didn't want to, I don't, I hate t-shirts that suck. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to do, it's fine if you're trying to make some money and you want to do a Gildan shirt, that's great. Nope, I don't, I don't judge anyone, but I just wanted shirts that I would wear. And I don't wear those kind of shirts very often. So I really made sure we got the high quality shirts. You know, I paid a little bit more for them, but it just made it so much worth it, so much more worth it. And I will never, I will never go back on that decision to make shirts that like, yeah, I may lose a little bit from what I could make off of them, but people will actually wear them then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The, the DB, the the Blu-ray is fantastic. Like it is worth, I've got buttons over here. I've got like basically pogs. 
you sent me pogs, Josh. Yeah, that's those, awesome. Those little, those little, those little plush <laughs> pogs, and uh, yeah, and then the the buttons. Some of you will get them, some of you won't, but because I'm running out, like I'm literally <laughs> sure. almost out of them. I I was just trying to make it worth it. So I only, um, I only advertise what is guaranteed to come in them. But yeah. I can guarantee that all of the boxes that I've made so far, which is almost all of them, I think, it, are they have bonus content as well. Patches yeah. and pins and buttons and whatnot. I was floored when I got it. It was so much in it. So, um, Josh, thank you. It's yeah, been an incredible so pleasure, much. man. Thanks when for you, having me, guys. When, you, when, you, when the new movies come out, will you come back? For sure. In a heartbeat. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Also, uh, stuff, hell, this uh, one we, we talked about my stuff the whole time. But if if you guys are ever just gonna talk cult movies and have some movies for me to watch and talk about, I'll always shit. come back to talk cult movies. Oh shit, that's a dangerous proposition. All right, I, just <laughs> a, just ample warning. We're watching Geely next month, so oh, be boy. careful He's what you wish me to watch. For. Geely, I wow. mean, come on. Th- then again, it's I'm April forcing... Fool's month. It's April Fool's month. Then again, again, I'm forcing him to watch a really shitty thing from the 70s, The Legend of the Superheroes, which was their ill-fated attempt to try to do a live-action superhero thing in the 70s, and it failed miserably, so... Nice. This is he's still getting back at me for forcing him to watch Premutos. I know it. Oh, forever. (laughs) Forever. I will will forever, but but yes, thank you so much. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and also sub trauma now but sub trauma now please um, definitely yeah um worth it worth every cent you can watch good exorcist you can watch uh homicide mcleod you you can you can watch terror firmer if if that's your bag um all right well thank you again um we've got more shows coming up in april uh we got our april fools episodes those have been announced and and again thank you josh i appreciate it man Hell yeah, thanks for having me. You got it.